welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are Groundworks Inc. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. Heritage Radio Network broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. Our sponsor today is Whole Foods Market, reminding you that every bite has a story. So whether it's a tomato, a muffin, or a T-bone steak, your conscious food choices can change the planet. At Whole Foods Market, every single purchase you make helps us support things like animal welfare, organic agriculture, equitable trade, and energy offsets. Let's think before we eat. Let's retake our plates. I'm all for that, Alice. Let's retake our plates. Yes. And today's episode is very much about taking back our plates. It is. We have an amazing um, guest today, Doug Hall. How are you, Doug? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, we're going to talk today and, and determine which varieties of vegetables to grow. Uh, Doug is the trial gardener and senior editor from organic magazine of Rodell Press, and Doug has a really, really fun job. He writes for the magazine, and he also runs their test garden, which means he gets to sample, grow, and then critique each year the new varieties. So what fun to be on the cutting edge of horticulture and to meet the celebrities, if you will, before their debut. <laughs> so you have a pen in one hand, Doug, and a trowel in another. Is that right? Like all good gardeners? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Uh, being a, a magazine editor is uh, basically a desk job. For the most part, it is. But when the growing season comes around, I end up spending uh, almost equal time out in the garden, uh, which to me is uh, like uh, being released for recess. Yeah, uh, it's it, the best uh, part, right? It is the best part of my job. It's something I look forward to. And, and even in, in late winter, as I'm making preparations, for the following or for the uh, growing season to come, it's just a, a joyful task to have. Right. And prior to your job um, of, of editor at Organic Gardening Magazine, he, you were the editor at Flower and Garden and Better Homes and Gardens magazines. Doug is a lifetime gardener, and you've studied horticulture in college. And then you spent four years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Latin America. Is that right? That's right, yes. Tell us yeah. what you did uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer. Well, uh, a lot of people join the Peace Corps because they're not exactly sure what direction their life is uh, is going to take. They haven't settled like on a career path. And every day as for a me. recent horticulture, <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds like every day for me. <laughs> oh yeah, I had I was just out of college with a horticulture degree, and um, and what do you do with a horticulture degree? I really had not at that point discovered uh, a way to. Uh, combine my interest in writing and gardening uh, in magazine journalism, so uh, I decided that that would be a good adventure. And uh, P the Peace Corps is always interested in signing up uh, volunteers who have any sort of a, a technical background. Uh, a degree in agriculture of any form is, is quite sought after, and so I spent uh, two years as an agriculture extension agent in Guatemala and two years after that in Ecuador. Uh, really had uh, uh, quite a few different responsibilities in both of those countries. Uh, I worked with uh, farmers in uh, rather remote uh, rural areas for the most part, but also uh, worked with some housewives trying to uh, convince them to incorporate a, 
a broader variety of fruits and vegetables in their diet. And one of my one of the favorite activities that I did in in both Guatemala and Ecuador was to establish school gardens oh. uh, in in some of the poor communities and uh, work uh, alongside the the teachers in those schools to uh, encourage the the kids to uh, to plant vegetables. That was that was a lot of fun. Oh, well, that's that- very cutting edge. I mean, that's all the rage now that the first lady is you know returned some of the White House uh, lawn into a productive space again. Well, so. and, and with Alice Waters and the, mm-hmm. you know, the whole school, school garden movement, but that's great because you were really doing that work um, many years ago before it kind of became a design term. <laughs> well, and in, in the countries where I was working, it uh, nutritionally is, is, is quite important uh, for these youngsters to develop a taste for something beyond their everyday diet, which often is uh, rice and beans or tortillas and beans and does not have a lot of, uh, of vegetable nutrition. Balance, right. Um, and uh, even though a lot of the vegetables would be available to uh, rural families through the marketplace, uh, they tended not to buy things that were not familiar to them. So tr- I, was, I was trying to... Uh, interest kids at a young age um, that these uh, these vegetables that we were growing at school were uh, both tasty and good for them. Yeah, that's great. And that, that, that leads us right into our next question about Rodale um, uh, as, a, as a family and what their philosophy is. So could you tell us a little bit about them? Well, sure. Uh, Rodale is still a family-owned company. It's owned by the Rodale family. Uh, it was... It, uh, its roots go back to the early 20th century. J.I. Rodale is the founder uh, of the publishing company. Uh, he came from a, a, a family of um, uh, working-class immigrants living in New York City. And I would say about, about the 1930s, he and, and one of his brothers, uh, they had um, business ambitions that brought them to the Lehigh Valley, Valley of Pennsylvania around Allentown and Emmaus. Uh, J.I.'s brother started a, a business uh, manufacturing electrical components, and, and J.I. started dabbling in publishing mm-hmm. of magazines and books. And J.I. was motivated by, he had some health issues of his own, and he, he believed that the quality of human health is tied to the quality of the food that we consume. Uh, which uh, yeah, seems obvious nowadays, but at that time it, it uh, was a bit revolutionary. Uh, the organic movement really had started in the early 20th century in Europe, and uh, J.I. Uh, picked up some of the concepts from the organic uh, movement in England and, and other countries of Europe and brought them to the United States. And in that sense, he really was one of the early pioneers of organics. Uh, in the United States. Uh, he founded Organic Farming and Gardening magazine in 1942, and Organic Gardening, the, the magazine where I work, is, a, is descended from that uh, earlier magazine. It's oh. so interesting to consider what was going on during that same period that he was starting a magazine to, to put it kind of in perspective, you know, uh, synthetic fertilizer was just, you know, after the war, during the war and after the war became, boom, were booming. Like mm-hmm. it was really becoming more and more available. So he was really going very much against the current trend of the period, that, wasn't he? Yes, that's very true. And for, uh, I would say, during most of his life, uh, J.I.'s ideas were dismissed by mainstream agriculture. Um, and he was uh, a little bit pigeonholed, um, uh, 
because he did go against the mainstream. Um, I, I recall uh, days when Organic Gardening Magazine was considered something of a cult following. Right. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think the times have caught up with the philosophy. The, the organic philosophy that uh, J.I. started out with has not changed. Um, the principles that uh, J.I. wrote about in early copies of the magazine are, are, uh, are still the same principles that we write about nowadays. It's just that uh, agriculture now has caught up with, uh, with that philosophy. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the trial gardens and, and the test garden that you run, because that's a very old initiative as well. We are fortunate enough to have some uh, gardening space that are at J.I.'s farm near Emmaus, Pennsylvania. Um, and he has uh, try, uh, testing his theories uh, in the field was always a, a very important to J.I. And so he had established a working farm uh, that uh, was run organically. Mm-hmm. And we're still using space that uh, at his farm that has been uh, farmed without the use of any pesticides or chemical inputs now for uh, gosh, seventy years or so. That is uh, which pretty means astounding. The soil, the soil is amazing out there. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> it really is good. It's a great place to garden. Uh, and every year we uh, we trial new vegetable varieties, uh, uh, herbs, uh, melons a few flowers and ornamentals, um, uh, just the sorts of things that uh, we want to be able to tell our readers about. Yeah, and that's what you you actually wrote an amazing article um, called The Best of the Garden, uh, 10 Plants, and it's it's really about the best veggies um, and flowers that you trialed um, in the garden. And let's just get into it, and let's let's talk about some of these favorites that you recommend. Yes, I'd okay. like to talk about the zucchini. Now, I'm Italian, Doug, and I have a lot of opinions about zucchini. <laughs> um, and uh, I've eaten a lot of zucchini, and I, it's one of my very favorite things to grow and to eat. I don't eat lots of other squashes. So tell me about this Cavili zucchini. What makes it amazing? Uh, you, you should try the Cavili. It's, I'm, I'm not... I'll eat zucchini and other summer squashes, but I wouldn't say it's something that I long for like I do for uh, other vegetables in summer. I think sweet corn and, and fresh, freshly harvested tomatoes yeah. are really the you. two tops yeah. on my list. And, <laughs> and okay, it's great to have the, the fresh zucchinis too, but um, the, they don't quite rank up as high as, as a fresh tomato. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Cavilli, though, really... Uh, stood out from the other squashes that we grew uh, last summer in the test garden. For one thing, it's a parthenocarpic squash, and that just means that the female flowers, the female squash blossoms, are able to develop into a mature fruit without having been pollinated. For the average gardener, that's not so important. The parthenocarpic vegetables have been developed for the most part for uh, greenhouse growers. Uh, commercial producers who want to grow these crops in winter inside where there are no insect pollinators present. But uh, from from a home gardener standpoint, it would also come in very handy if you were gardening in an area where there were uh, insect pests like squash borers or uh, squash bugs, the, the, the sorts of insects that can really devastate a squash crop. And if you wanted to use floating row cover oh. as a technique for excluding insect pests 
from mm-hmm. your squash plants. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, if you're excluding, if you're using the floating row cover to keep the pest insects out, you're also keeping the pollinators out. That's right. And so a parthenocarpic squash like Cavelli that does not require pollinators, that's an instance where it really would come in handy. The most striking characteristic, though, of Cavelli visually is that it is so pale in color. When you slice into it, it also has a very creamy interior. Uh, it doesn't develop those hard seeds once it get, gets past the, uh, uh, the small stage, the immature stage. Right. Uh, it never really gets woody. And our, uh, our copy editor here at the office she developed a, a recipe using uh, thin longitudinal slices of cavelli instead of lasagna noodle, noodles in a vegetable lasagna. Oh, I bet that's amazing tasting. It, yes. I, I didn't sample it myself, but she swore by it. She said it made the best pasta substitute. One thing that I really love about this article that you wrote is your... Um, incorporation of your reader's comments. I found that really nice and helpful um, at the end of each kind of description. Those comments actually came from our test gardeners. Oh, okay. Um, who happen oh, from to Idaho be and from all over. Yeah. enthusiastic gardeners themselves. Uh, we have uh, 13 test gardeners scattered throughout the, uh, the United States okay. and one in Canada. And they, when we're trialing 50 varieties of vegetables here in Pennsylvania, they are trialing the same varieties in their home gardens. Uh-huh. And so that way we can, we can track how these uh, vegetables that we're reporting on, we can track how they did in the Pacific Northwest, in the desert Southwest, uh, it, just in, in a variety of, of, of climates. Uh, it's, as you know, one growing location, if the weather is bad in that spot through, right. the, uh, through the summer, it can really throw off your, your results. Yeah, exactly. So let me just um, uh, go off the, the path for a second and ask, how does one become a test gardener for, for you all? It's a volunteer position. Uh, We really give each test gardener a token payment and provide, of course, all the seeds are provided Uh to them for free. Uh, It's not something that anyone takes on as a way of getting wealthy. No. uh, Because really we do do pay such an insubstantial amount to our test gardeners. They do it because they they love gardening and they love the opportunity of trying all these new vegetable varieties. Yeah, and the networking and and the community, the, the sense of community that they get with the relationship, I would, that would be most um, interested to, Yes, you know, yes. Me, all, I, of them, all of them blog for uh, organic gardening, too, on right. the organicgardening.com website. Uh, and they, ha- they have developed a sort of a community. Uh, it's almost like an e-garden club. Right. Oh, lovely. And let me just also mention that this zucchini that, that we're speaking about is available at John Sheeper's Kitchen Garden Seeds, which is in Bantam, Connecticut. Um, it, for, That's right. For they have listeners. a great catalog. Yeah, they do. It's interesting yeah. that you know John Sheepers was actually a is actually a bulb company, right? But now they're now they're kind of going into they, the to the way of the kitchen garden as well. They're branching out as, right. as the the Dutch are. They're not all about tulips anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, let's talk for a second about the Bonanza green bean from Burpee and Company. 
we ha- we trialed several green beans in the a test garden in 2010, uh, a couple pole bean varieties and a couple bush bean varieties, and we compared them against Fortex, which is an older uh, uh pole bean that is, it's sort of a standard variety that is very popular with a, a lot of uh, long-time gardeners. Uh, Bonanza just was head and shoulders above all the other varieties we, we were trialing. Uh, for one thing, the quality of the bean uh, was outstanding. Um, they they uh, stayed tender uh, mm-hmm. for quite a few days. If, if we did not get into the garden for, say, three or four days to harvest on a regular basis, the beans would still be of, 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 of good quality, good eating quality. But even more uh, amazing than that was that we got so many weeks, um, actually more than two months uh, of harvest from a bush bean, which is oh, that's, wow. that's unusual. That is because those are the pole beans are the ones that really have that kind of vigor. I know from having taken care of my garden and my parents' garden full of beans and it's endless. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you would expect that that sort of stamina from a pole bean, but not necessarily from a bush bean. Uh, but the bonanza really, it really impressed all of us. Yeah, good name too, the bonanza. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Burpee has a way of, of uh, giving clever a little, uh, clever names with wordplay in them to yeah. new varieties. Well, it helps you remember it and then buy it. And yeah. what I find really exciting about all these new varieties is that with this renewed interest in growing your own food, you know, the mar- of course, like every other economy, this is market driven. So the more people buy and grow from their own, you know, buy seeds and grow their own food, the more that the companies are going to develop more, you know, have the resources to develop more varieties and be inspired and be motivated to do that. Don't you think, Doug? It's just going to keep on expanding the options in the future. That's very true. And, and additionally, um, the more of the older varieties that stay in commerce, I think it keeps our options even more diverse if we keep the old heirloom That's right. uh, of vegetable varieties in commerce. Yeah. Just as important as the modern hybrids, I would say. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite um, uh, vegetables are these red lettuces, and, and you profile a leaf lettuce from Renee's garden called Sea of Red. And and one other thing that I love, especially about the Renee's, um, Renee's Garden products, is that she actually um, uh, started her company towards herb gardeners and restaurants, which I actually found really interesting. So the, the fact that she's now in the seed uh, marketing um, business, it, you know, just, just gives so much credibility to her product and this beautiful red leaf. I, I would agree with uh, what you say about Renee's Garden uh, Seed Company that uh, sometimes I get the impression when I'm flipping through a seed catalog that they chose varieties based on what really looks impressive in a photograph. <laughs> Maybe, you know, the 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 big red tomato that fits in the palm of your hand. Right. Um, but it, with Renee's Garden, I have a, a, a different uh, impression. I, I think that they uh, bring everything they harvest into the kitchen and sample it before they decide what varieties they're going to offer to the public. And, exactly. And they, there's a focus on the finest culinary varieties. Well, and the um, fact that they're using real botanical artists, you know, to even do those seed packets, just the beauty and the attention that those seed packets get, you know, is 
illustrative of, of their product. And while you're speaking of seed packets, somehow they managed to cram an awful lot of information on their seed packets, That's which true. is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When you're out in the garden planting, you can't always run to the, uh, to the seed company's website to remind you of um, uh, mature size or days to maturity or, or planting depth. So it's it's really important that all that information be on the seed packet. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, we have to take a break. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll continue our discussion with Doug Hall of Organic Gardening Magazine when we get back. Stay tuned. If there's a question bothering your brain that you think you know how to explain, you need a test. Yeah, think up a test. If it's possible to prove it wrong, you're going to want to know before too long, you'll need a test. If somebody says they figured it out, and they're leaving any room for doubt, come up with a test. Yeah, you need a test. Are you sure that that thing is true? Or did someone just tell it to you? Come up with a test. Find a way to show what would happen if you were incorrect. Test it out. A fact is just a fantasy, unless it can be checked. Make a test. Test it out. If you want to know if it's the truth, then my friend, you are going to need proof. Following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Thursday at 1 p.m., Heather Hyman and Aaron Fairbanks explore the real roles in building a strong community and sustainable farm system. They get nitty-gritty with the people producing our food. They explore distribution networks, dissect policy issues, and converse with some of the nation's most important agents for change to examine current events in the world of agriculture and food. Join them every Thursday live at 1 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network, where all is grist for the mill. Hi, welcome back to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're continuing our discussion with Doug Hall of Organic Gardening Magazine, um, talking about the 10 top vegetables and plants for 2011. So let's get into onions, Doug, specifically the Dakota Tears. Tell me about a little bit of the story behind that and what makes that such a great um, home gardening crop. Uh when I'm planning, uh, if I had limited space in a vegetable garden, I would not devote any space to onions because, frankly, you can get quite good onions from at the uh, a farmer's market or from a, a local organic gardener. Um, and I don't feel that you uh, gain uh, ex, uh, any un- uh, unusual flavors by... Um, by growing your own. It's not quite the same as, as growing, say, leaf lettuce, which really depends on being uh, harvested right before you uh, make the salad or, mm-hmm. or, sure. uh, or yeah. tomatoes. That, uh, you really want them uh, to be uh, served at the peak of freshness. Right. Um, on the other hand, if you have the space, onions really are a very simple and satisfying crop to grow. It's almost a no-brainer. Um, for most of the spring, you just watch them. You don't really do anything at all. They just keep getting bigger and bigger while you watch. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun to do with kids. 
as well. Yes, yes. And, and this particular onion that, uh, that we uh, trialed in the garden in 2010 was called Dakota Tears uh, from Fedco Seeds. And uh, it's, a, it's an onion variety for northern gardeners, uh, distinguishing between long day and, and short day onion varieties is, is important because uh, onion is one of the crops that the bulb formation is triggered by day length. So uh, Dakota Tears is, if you live north of the Mason-Dixon line, it's going to be a good onion variety for you. Um, I still have this, uh, these onions from our uh, August harvest in my basement. They are a great storage onion. So I am still, I'm still using the harvest. Oh, that's good. Um, from last year's, yeah. last year's onions. And Fedco really, really um, uh, specializes in the cold hardy varieties, right? They're a co-op in Maine. That's right. Yeah. Yes, they are based in Maine. Uh, they are all organic. Um, and they, they have a large percentage of uh, open-pollinated seed varieties and heirloom seed varieties. Uh, they're really a good go-to uh, resource for those of us who live in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's time to talk about cherry tomatoes. Mm, I can taste one now. I can taste it. I We've can taste mentioned it. it three times already. I haven't eaten a tomato since September. Doug, yeah, a good one. Because I refuse to eat oh. any of the ones that are available now at all. The, the shipped-in tomatoes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I actually had a few cherry tomatoes on my salad for lunch today, and, and uh, they don't compare no. with anything that we harvested from the, from the garden last year. Right. We had eight different tomato varieties in, in the test garden last year. Um, the, at one point, when all eight of them were producing... I brought in samples to the office, and we did a blind tasting. And we had several cherry tomatoes, a few slicing tomatoes, and one paste tomato. Mm -hmm. And the greatest surprise, and, and just... Just to make sure everyone was on their toes, I threw in a grocery store organic tomato <laughs> yeah. without telling anyone that I was going to do that. Oh, right no. on. Okay. So there were nine plates, and, and I, I have to say, I did not fool anyone. <laughs> the grocery store tomato, even though it was organically grown, it came in at the very bottom of the taste test. Good palate. <laughs> well, it was pretty obvious. It really yeah. was cardboardy. Uh -huh. uh, but the one that came out on the on the top of of our uh, uh, sample was it's not even one that uh, was featured in the magazine. It was a paste tomato called San Marzano Gigante Three, and San San Marzanos are it's a it's a, it's a common type of paste tomato or cooking tomato that's been around for years and really has achieved um, quite a bit of acceptance among gardeners and, and cooks. And, and so if you look at catalogs, a lot of times a new variety will be introduced and they'll use San Marzano in some way in the variety name. And mm. so this one they call San Marzano Gigante 3, and it's from Territorial Seed. But it had a real smoky, meaty flavor to it. I never expected a paste tomato to be rated higher than all of these other tomatoes we were trialing. So to me, that was really the underdog sneaking in um, to win the, the taste test. That's very interesting, Doug, because I grew up, as I said, you know, being Italian, my parents always had home gardens. And, you know, people think of the San Marzano as the paste or cooking tomato, the tomato that you, you can or you, you know, you cook. You don't eat it raw. But that's the tomato that I grew up eating raw in the salad. 
Oh, you right, know, and yeah. the, and that was pretty unusual. Yeah, to yeah. do that, we didn't eat. You know, we weren't growing beef steaks, or you know, we had some cherries, but the San Marzano was the one because we were always canning it. So when they were ready, we'd also eat them raw in salads, and they were, they were you know the taste that I grew to grew up associating with you know summer tomato taste. Yeah, that's interesting. It would be good sliced on a sandwich too because yeah. it's not watery. Right. Exactly, it's not going to make the bread wet. And, right. Um, so, as far as flowers go, you all recommend a uh, sweet zinnia. Um, the color was gorgeous in the photo. It's called Double Zahara Fire, and it was the All America Selections winner. Um, can you tell us what that means, Doug? All America Selections. All America Selections is a it's a trade association uh, that's made up of companies that produce and sell seeds, and. Uh, their their purpose, of course, is to promote gardening and and specifically to to promote new seed propagated varieties of both vegetables and flowers uh, that their judging process has identified identified as being outstanding and and widely adaptable. So the, the members of this consortium of of seed producers uh, can nominate. Of new varieties that they feel are worthy of inclusion in the program, okay. and then uh, it, actually before the before the varieties are introduced to the uh, to the general public, uh, the seeds then will go uh, to testing locations across the country, um, and they will be um, tested for uh, for their adaptability and. Um, Oftentimes when a new variety is introduced, it might just be incrementally better than what's already on the market. But in order to receive this All-America Selections designation, it really has to be uh, outstanding in a way that it is uh, uh, no other variety that is on the market can compare with. They, They really do have to represent a large step forward. Uh, in the in the terms of, uh, in the flower categories, it's it's often something that is uh, more uh, disease resistant or uh, has a longer bloom se- uh, uh, season, uh-huh. uh, more flowers, uh-huh. uh, less work. Yeah, the quote here from your test gardener is: these two zinnias, um, the double Zahara fire and double Zahara cherry. Um, are definite winners. They bloom like gangbusters, no deadheading required, and they are self-branching. And they also last well as a cut flower, which is great. And I also have to say, this color is outstanding. This orangey-yellow color is so sweet. Yeah, orange is a great color in the garden. I mean, it works with blues and purples, and even with its own sort of, with the pinks and reds, it can mm-hmm. they can work in a lot of different ways. And we use zinnias a lot in urban gardens because you get a lot of a lot of color for, for on a small plant you know yeah. you get a lot of flowers um, when you have limited space you always have to consider how much space the plant is going to take and what it's going to give you for that amount of space yeah the the zahara series of, of zinnias is good in that respect because they uh, they really didn't even slow down until frost one thing we found was that we had planted them in a couple places. Uh, we'd planted them in our trial beds where the soil is quite rich and kept moist with mulch. And we planted them along uh, one side of the greenhouse where we pretty much 
neglected them and left them to bake in the sun, <laughs> they actually did better with neglect. Oh, yeah. That's good to And <laughs> in the rich soil, they got a little bit leggy and floppy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we uh, they do well when they're in baking sun on rooftops with minimal irrigation. We find that they do much, much better. They also tend to be less mildewy that way, you know, less chance of getting, you know, kind of unattractive foliage after a while. Right, yeah. Zinnias are prone to a powdery mildew, but a, a general rule of thumb is if it's a narrow leaf, mm-hmm. if it's a zinnia that has a very narrow leaf, like the Star Series or the Zahara Series or, mm-hmm. or the Perfusion Series, mm-hmm. they are much healthier. The foliage will stay clean yeah, through the growing season. Yeah, the thinner leaf, right. All right, let's go back to veggies. Um, Pinot Noir, bell pepper, that's a gorgeous one. It is that, beautiful. It looks chocolatey in color. It's, it's, it's one that uh, it goes through a, a range of colors, and it, it was not a new variety last year. Uh, it's one that uh, Burpee introduced, I think, two or three years ago and sent us the seeds by mistake, and we thought, oh, well, let's, let's try it anyway and, and, and see what it's like. And uh, we had, I think we had four bell peppers in our uh, trial garden last year, and it was the one that everyone loved the most. Um, it starts out as a green pepper and has a typical green pepper taste, which some people don't like, but then it takes on this mottled, marbled, purple streak. Yeah, yeah. And eventually comes becomes solid purple, and then after that, if you leave it on the plant, after it reaches purple, it will change then over to bright red, and that's when it's at its sweetest, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's most flavorful. A lot of green peppers, if, if you leave them on the plant uh, to mature to bright red, you'll have a totally different flavor than if you harvest them at the green stage. Oh, yeah, they're definitely, uh, I think, also more digestible. You know, that green pepper sometimes doesn't agree with people. You know, it's kind right. of uh, yeah. chlorophyll-y. I like Tasting, it, but a yeah. lot of my friends are always like, if, if I'm cooking, they ask me not to use pepper. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of green, I have to ask you about, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right, but is it a ton basil or a ton basil? I think that's whichever way you prefer mm-hmm. to pronounce it will be fine with me. Uh, I really don't know what the correct pronunciation is. Well, you can't um, ignore the, the pun, a ton. A ton. <laughs> yeah, it's spelled A-T-O-N. A ton I, we always basil. said A-ton, but I, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what the correct pronunciation is? Um, I had a, a professor in college, and as we were learning the, the Latin names that go along with the Latin binomials for a scientific uh, names of plants, he said it doesn't matter how you pronounce any of them, so long as you say it with authority, and then everyone hears you, who hears you will say, oh, I've been pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> Clematis, anyone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tomato, so, tomato. So what makes this basil, I mean, of course, I, I'm going to have opinions about basil as well, Doug, being a Italian, and I've eaten a lot of basil and a lot of basil and tomato in every possible uh, combination. What makes this one extra special that that people should want to grow it? The flavor was uh, what you would expect from a Genovese sweet basil. Um, So there really was not anything um, uh, unusual in in the flavor. Um, It had the plant had a shorter stature. It was marketed as a compact plant for container gardening, and it would make it would make a good container specimen if you were gardening on a balcony or on a, a, a ter- in a terrace garden. Um, but it has large leaves. 
it large leaves okay. like the Genovese, like Great. the typical Genovese basil. Um, and But what we noticed is that when other varieties of basil had started to flower, the uh, uh, Aton basil just continued to produce fresh leaves rather than flowers. And the, the flower, when a, a basil flowers, the the leaves change flavor. They become a little more bitter. That's true. And they do flower. Yeah. They, you have to, that's one plant that I've found. You do have to stay on top of and yeah. keep clipping you and have deadhead. You harvesting it, yeah. Or it is going to quickly, right. uh, it's right. going to go into its seed-making phase, you know? And, and, and even pinching it back at, at some point, it's going to be a, a losing prospect because it's day length that's triggering that flower formation and then not the age of the plant itself. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, so having a having a, a basil variety that did stay productive longer in the garden was uh, we felt that that was a benefit worth uh, promoting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So our final vegetable for the day is going to be another tomato. Maybe we should have lumped them together, but it's good to end with. Well, everybody. So sweet. Well, that's probably. I wanted to ask you this, Doug. Is tomato is the most commonly grown of vegetables? I would imagine, right? Of, of home growing in home gardeners. Yeah. yeah, in home gardens, definitely. Because it makes the most difference in taste when you grow it yourself. I that's would imagine. True. Well, not right. everyone's a fan of okra, so right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's their problem. <laughs> And also, if you grow five different tomato varieties, you realize that not all tomatoes taste the same. Right. You'll get five different flavors if yeah. you grow five varieties, uh, which is another great reason for growing your own. Uh, the two tomatoes that we put in the magazine uh, uh, in, in our article were both cherry tomatoes. Mm-hmm. One was a very compact determinant variety of tomato called Bitonto, which again would be a good patio tomato. You could grow it in a pot. The other was an indeterminant tomato variety called Red Pearl. And the difference between determinant tomatoes and indeterminate tomatoes is that a determinant tomato will grow to a specific size, usually no more than about two feet tall. It'll set a lot of fruit all at once, and then after you've harvested it's done. An indeterminate tomato is more, it's, it's the familiar viney type of tomato that you would need to tie up to a trellis or a pole oh, or to I know put about in a tomato those. cage. <laughs> yeah. yes. And they will just keep growing and growing. And every time they grow another foot, they put out more flowers, yeah. more fruit. And so they never stop producing fruit until they reach the end of the growing season. Um, the advantage of having the determinant tomatoes is, one, they're generally of a smaller stature. And if you're doing canning or processing or freezing, you might want to have all your tomatoes at once. Right, right. The advantage of the indeterminate is it spreads the harvest out over the, the entire length of the summer and early fall. It extends that sweetness, yeah. <laughs> so what's right. going on now then for 2012? Can you talk a little bit about that or is that top secret? It's not top secret. I, I've, uh, <laughs> what, I, what I do is I uh, request uh, input from seed companies, uh, and I chose, this year I chose about 20 seed companies that, uh, that I like doing business with. Uh, I chose 20 companies that I feel are the best resources for organic uh, home gardeners. And uh, instead of requesting all new varieties this year, I asked um, representatives of these seed companies to recommend varieties that 
had been in their catalogs for a number of years, were, were tried and true and, and really outstanding in their own way, and yet they had not caught on as varieties. They remained oh. undiscovered uh, or maybe just um, uh, um, unloved, uh, yeah, unloved right. varieties, and, and maybe even uh, ran the risk of being eliminated from the catalog. The wallflowers, so, so to speak. <laughs> It, 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 yeah. It, yeah, it's a different approach to the to the garden, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It means we've got more heirlooms and more open-pollinated varieties in the garden for 2011. Um, and that's I good news, list. because people don't own those varieties, right, Doug? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, more people can grow them. You know, more companies can grow them. It's not uh, trademarked. You know, the op- those... Right. With the open-pollinated yeah. varieties, if you love the tomato... That you've grown, you can save seeds from it and exactly. have a fairly uh, uh, a certainty, a fair amount of certainty that the uh, tomato plants that you grow from it the following year will be true to type. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, with the open pollinated, and 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 that's the whole point of heirlooms is that they have been passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, well, thank you and Rodale um, and in your magazine and all of your research for shedding some light on all of this. And um, we're very, very thankful that you could be with us today. And well, it's my pleasure. You're always ahead of the curve, and we love that. So <laughs> um, thank you. And uh, we look forward to reading more articles and keeping up with the magazine. All right. Good deal. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thanks Have a good afternoon. Much. And thank you to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering our show today, to Roberta's Pizza and Bushwick. And to our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. If you miss any part of the show, it's going to be available via the archive on the website at heritageradionetwork.com and also via podcast on iTunes. Please feel free to leave comments or join our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants, and on Twitter, We Dig, we dig Plants. Happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Beer Sessions Radio. Beyond the human and environmental casualties of the triple threat disaster in Japan, there will likely also be losses to our collective food culture, from miso and sake makers to outstanding fisheries. With help from the New York State Brewers Association, the Good Beer Seal, Beer Sessions Radio, and craft breweries alike, Jimmy Carboni is hoping to raise funds that will go directly to Hitachino, an excellent Japanese brewery, through a benefit at Brooklyn Brewery next Monday, March 28th from 7 to 10 p.m. In addition to beer, there'll be food from the Meat Hook, Jimmy's Number no. 43, Waterfront Ale House, and a few local Japanese restaurants. All money raised will go to Kiyuchi Brewery and Hitachino Beers, which they will distribute via humanitarian aid locally. To date, the brewery, which lost 500 bottles in the earthquake and suffered some damage to its physical plant, is filtering and bottling water for its community and providing them with food. You can read a letter about the quake's aftermath to Jimmy from Toshiyuki Kyuchi, the brewery owner, on his site. And you can buy tickets to the benefit on brownpapertickets.com backslash event backslash 166978. That's brownpapertickets.com slash event slash 166978. 
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Oberhofer, and more. Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network.